up, everybody? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Today's episode features David Roadcup of TCM International Institute, and he's talking with us about how to build and grow your personal life in Christ. This is a theme that God keeps bringing up in my life time and time again, and I believe it is of the utmost importance. Have you ever felt like you were trying to pour into someone else, but there just wasn't anything left in the tap? I've definitely been there before, and God doesn't want me or you to stay there. The heart of leading and developing a life-changing discipling ministry begins with the spiritual life of the leader, with you, with me. As leaders, we must know Jesus personally and deeply. David discusses and explains in detail how leaders like me and you can dramatically grow our own spiritual journey. Let's listen to David Roadcup as he encourages us today and gives us some of these practical tools to use in our lives. Enjoy the episode. My name is David Roadcup. Uh, I live in Florence, Kentucky, actually, uh, just south of Cincinnati. Just come across the Ohio River. And uh, yes, very good. Yes, very good. That's kind of our claim to fame. They built a mall there 50 years ago and put a water tower up and put Florence Mall on the water tower. And city council came and said, you can't advertise until you get your occupancy certificate. So the guys at the mall just took the two outer areas of the, uh, of the M off and put an apostrophe. So it said Florence Y'all, you know, instead of Florence Mall. And when, when they got their, their certificate of occupancy, it was so popular, they just decided to leave it. So it's still there that way 50 years now uh, from there. Uh, we, if you see that water tower, we're about two miles to the west as a crow flies, just right there in Florence. So stop in for dinner whenever you're driving through, and uh, we'd love to, love to have you. Yeah, good. My full-time job is teaching uh, for TCM, um, International Institute. Uh, my area is spiritual formation and discipleship, are the areas that I work in. And um, when I was uh, hired by TCM, they said to me, now, if you take this job, our main campus is in uh, Vienna, Austria. And they said, if you take this job, you'll have to spend about two and a half months a year in Vienna. Uh, we don't know if that'll be okay with you or not. And my wife and I love to travel. So when, when they said, we, we don't know if this will be okay for you, well, I, I tried not to smile. You know, say, <laughs> well, if nobody else will do it, we'll do it, you know. And um, boy, it just has been a really amazing stretching experience. We have 2,500 students, actually, about 2,600 students from 55 different countries. And... Um, one class that I had just before COVID, I, I, I had like 26 in the class, and I said to them, um, how, tell me the countries that you're from. There are students from 11 different countries uh, just in that one class. So I use a Russian interpreter almost always, since a huge number of our, our students speak Russian. And then we're set up. In the back, there are soundproof booths for other interpreters. And in my class, there are maybe seven or eight students with earphones on. And I know they're listening to the tran to the translation from these other two uh, uh, translators in terms of whatever you know whatever language it might be. So we have the students do uh, they uh, sign up for becoming a student? They apply and then um, they choose their major and then they simply uh, start taking classes and they'll sign up for a class and uh, it's about ninety hours online through Moodle, if you're familiar with Moodle at all, do Moodle for about 90 hours. And then uh, they'll meet with me or the professor of record for four days here in the United States. In Europe, it's six days. And um, we uh, have a situation where everybody s sleeps on the same location. We take all of our meals together. We have activities at night. And, and uh, I think that the quality of instruction we have uh, for students. Our only major, uh, only focus is training men and women for leadership ministry. That's all we do. We, I think business is great. Nursing is great. All that's good. <coughs> we, it's just not where, what we do. Just helping men and women become the most effective church planters and preachers and youth workers and educational directors and various things. Uh, we're also uh, really training a lot of, this, of the uh, professors who will be, a lot of students will become professors at a lot of the Bible colleges over there. Interestingly enough, in Europe, especially uh, uh, Eastern Europe, there are quite a few uh, Bible colleges as we would think about that. And so we um, are now training the professors for those schools. And uh, let me just tell you that uh, unapologetically, we're very, very conservative biblically. 
you know, we really believe in scripture and teach that and uh, the lordship of Christ, all of those doctrines very much so. But we not only want to convey content in terms of a degree, but we want to spend time with our students so we have the chance to disciple them, have time for discipling and influencing them, loving on them, encouraging them, answering questions and all. The days many times are very long. We start class about quarter to nine in the morning. Get down at six in the evening. We all have dinner together. And then when the students find out I have a church growth background, you know, why they all, many of them come and say, prof, can we just get a cup of coffee and go into the, go into the lounge? And so many times it's 1030 or 11 when, when we get done and make for long days. But man, it's, it's fruitful like you can't believe, you know. I just have so many kids who are doing such an amazing piece of work. We have students from the Stans countries, also Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan. And I'm just blown away at, the, at those kids, really. They're 20, 25 to, uh, to uh, 40. Uh, average age of our student is 34. So, so we deal with maybe some older students. But um, just to hear them, you know, their, their grandfathers and fathers have been in prison or are still there now. And uh, if they get caught planting a church or they get caught preaching, it's almost, almost for certain, either a heavy fine or a jail sentence. And um, it's very possible for them to be executed, actually, also if they were caught doing too much. And so I, we were sitting across from a couple of students, the president of TCM and I, having lunch. And we said to them, you know, in all honesty, I mean, I mean every day you get up and go out, go out. I mean, you're literally taking your life in your own hands. And they said, you know what, we know that. And, uh, and, and, and we're ready to pay that price. That's it. I mean, we're sold out totally to building the kingdom of God. And one of the students said to me, uh, if, if, if I die, I die. That, that, that's, that's just how it works here, you know. I wish I had time just to tell you about 10 stories about those guys and what they do and how they, how they evangelize. Just, just one, one real quick one, then we'll go ahead and try to get started. Um, one, one of the guys, we talked to him about discipling and how that works. You meet with guys, you have Bible study, you spend time together. Well, it's very hard to meet over there because it's very dangerous, and they still do it. But he told me that they came up with a new method. They said the city bus uh, took, took uh, uh, two hours to take a loop around its, its, its air area. So he said they positioned uh, the leader and then the, mem the six members of the group about a half a mile apart. And the bus would pick each one of them up as it stopped, and they would all have a thermos of coffee or tea and some donuts or a coffee cake or something, their Bibles. They'd go to the back of the bus, and they would spend an hour and 45 minutes in Bible study and fellowship and sharing and um, having cake and coffee together. He said the, the only thing they couldn't do was they couldn't sing. Uh, you know, it, it, way too obvious. And then after, after their Bible study, then the bus would be coming around a second loop, and they would all get off the bus and uh, go ahead and go to their cars and, and leave. And I said, you know, if you, if you love Jesus and you really want his word, uh, you know, there's nothing that can stop you. You know, I mean, I mean, you go all the way and just a small, small portion of what our students do, who they are. And just just such wonderful, very, very talented kids for sure. So so that's TCM, a little bit about what we do and and where we are. Our European campus is located in just southwest of downtown Vienna about 18 kilometers. And then we have a U.S. Uh, 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 office building right here on the west side of Indianapolis. Our headquarters is here, you know, so. Great. I'm married to Karen, 56 years. We have two children. Yeah, two children and four grandchildren. And uh, uh, went to Bible college after my senior year of high school and never have never looked back. You know, it's been an amazing, amazing ride. And uh, the real passion of my ministry is not only evangelism, but it's helping people grow in their faith and their relationship to Christ. And that's what we want to talk about tonight here, of course, in this outline. Let me just mention the outline. First of all, there's way more information on here than we can ever cover in an hour. And that's by design. We won't go over every line and every paragraph, but I gave you much, much more that we can cover. So I'd like for you to take this home and just study it and go through it. Uh, somebody, somebody says, can we use this material? You know, in our in our small home Bible study group, in our church, in our Sunday school class, our youth group. And the answer to that is absolutely, please. Yeah, don't even give credit. It's okay. Just take it and use it to help people grow as much, uh, much as they possibly can. Yeah. You all, let's do the most important thing we're going to do our whole time together, okay? And seek the Lord together. Brother, can I just ask you, would you lead us in a word of prayer? Sure. Is that okay? All right. Good. Lord God, as we gather tonight, we thank you for this uh uh, gathering that you've provided, the place, the people, 
for your Holy Spirit presence and uh, today and tomorrow. Lord, we especially give thanks for the word. Lord, mm -hmm. let it uh, speak mm -hmm. to our hearts, our minds, so that we would become more and more like Jesus and help mm -hmm. others to know you and do the same. We ask for special mm -hmm. blessings upon uh, David Roadcup here. And thank you for the testimony of his life and your work in it. And so bless us, we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Uh, everyone, in terms of the, the lives we live and the experiences we have from day to day, there are certain things that are pretty indispensable when you really think about it. Uh, things like uh, spark plugs in, a, in, a, in an engine. You know, you could have the most powerful engine any place without spark plugs. It wouldn't be, be worth a whole lot in terms of transportation. My wife, when our girls were young, sewed a great deal, sewed most of their clothes. And I didn't sew and don't know a whole lot about it. I do know, though, that there's this thing called a bobbin. And you put it down under the needle, I think, and then you have to fill it with thread before it would work. And uh, without that bobbin or without the needle also, you could sit there all day and run your machine and nothing would happen. Some, some things are indispensable. And the topic we want to talk about tonight, along with the explanation, uh, hopefully in as much detail as we can, um, I think is quite possibly the most indispensable thing when it comes to not only uh, uh, leading as a Christian, but especially the idea of leading someone in a discipling relationship. And the whole issue this outline covers is simply your personal, my personal relationship to Jesus Christ. And uh, the really good news for all of us today is this, that for years and years and years, we knew people weren't growing in the church, but we just did not really have a handle on how to, how to make them grow, how to stimulate their growth. In 1992, Richard Foster released a book called Celebration of Discipline, which was an entire book about the spiritual disciplines, and that just knocked the lid off of the whole movement. And now there are hundreds of books on the disciplines and blogs and sermons and tons and tons of stuff out there. And um, just hope that as time goes on, you will really become a student of the disciplines and read a number of books. Uh, maybe even teach teach the disciplines yourself, very much so. And so that, that's where we want to start here in terms of um, the, ver the very front page. Um, the disciplines are a group of ancient practices we can trace all the way back to uh, Abraham. And from Abraham coming up through all of the kings, through all of the judges, the prophets, major and minor prophets, Jesus himself practiced Almost every discipline on our list here, we can't find any place that Jesus journaled. You know, we, we, he wrote in the dirt one time, but we don't have any record of his journaling. Uh, I know that if Jesus took any kind of a salary, uh, I, don't, I don't know how that worked for him. Uh, uh, we don't have any record of Jesus giving, giving money uh, in terms of stewardship. Although, obviously, you know, he, he, he would have done that. And there are a couple of others on here. But if you look at the list that I've got on your paper here tonight, you can trace that Jesus practiced almost every one of these himself, along with Paul, along with Peter, uh, James, so forth. And the early church fathers wrote a great deal about the disciplines and about their practice. So these practices really are ancient. The reason they're still around today is because these are the things God wants us to do to draw close to him. You know, this is what this is what how God wants to meet us, how he wants to connect with us. And uh, while we don't have time to go over each one of these uh, individually, I do want to mention a couple of them and just just uh, just look at them as we uh, as we go through our time together. Um, I would love to have a whole hour just to talk about the disciplines. You know, they're so powerful and so important in people's lives. And you know many of these and you're practicing many of these anyway. You know, but if I could just mention, mention them to you. It's so imperative, of course, as we just heard, that we each have a daily time of being in the Word of God every single day. Remember, Scripture does for your spiritual life what eating a good meal does for your physical body. It's exactly the same thing. It's food for our souls. And that's not just a kind of good illustration we could make up. Listen to this testimony by the Word itself. The milk of the Word, the meat of the Word, the bread of life. David says, your Word is like honey to my taste. You know, now back in those days, remember, honey was very, very valuable, very expensive, and only, only the wealthy had honey. Uh, if you were a farmer and you found a, a, found a, a source of honey on your farm, uh, more, more, more good for you as well. But the average person did not have honey in their home. It was just too expensive. And um, David says, your word, your word is like honey to my taste. 
It's, it's so important. Giving us the idea that when we partake of a devotional reading of the Word of God, we read it, we think about it, we meditate on it, we let it go from, from the, the mind percolating down to the heart and really begin to change us. It does for us, for our spiritual lives, what, what eating a good meal does for our physical bodies. So every, every, I would encourage every single day for you just to be in the Word, at least a chapter a day, read it, pick out the key ideas, you know, just let the Word really begin to change you. Someone says, okay, now you're saying every day. You, well, we heard you say every day. Isn't that a little legalistic, really, you know, to kind of lay the load on us that every day we need to be reading Scripture? And I'll say, okay, no, I'll back off on that. I really will. Let me just ask you this, though. How often do you eat? You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I eat three times a day, sometimes four, actually, you know. I mean, no kidding. Yeah, you all, it's just, it's our lifeline to healthy spiritual life, the Word of God, just so critical. Of course, the discipline of prayer, you know, it's impossible for us to really live a godly life without working on the area of prayer in our lives. If you struggle with having the kind of prayer life you really want to have, that tells me something about your spiritual life. It really does. It tells me that you're normal. <laughs> I would say you all, if you're struggling in your prayer, join the crowd, you know. Interestingly enough, I've never one time in all of my years of ministry had any believer come to me and say, you know that prayer thing? I've got that figured out. Yeah, it's, it's no longer a struggle for me to pray. And it isn't that we are products of the TV generation and that we really don't uh, have a lot of uh, self-control or we can't concentrate well. Let me just tell you that, and, and to encourage you, anytime the weakest Christian bows the knee in prayer to the Lord, you know, uh, there is spiritual warfare surrounding that. Because I will tell you that Satan, the last thing he wants you to do is have any kind of a prayer life at all. Because he knows with prayer, you can tear down the walls of the kingdom of darkness. You know, you can call wayward children back to the Lord. You know, you can heal diseases. I mean, there are all kinds of things that, that, that prayer does for us. And so Satan will do anything he can to get you to, to, to not pray. If you feel like you, when you're trying to pray, there is some kind of a struggle, some kind of a difficulty. It isn't you. You're not a bad person or a weak Christian. It's that spiritual warfare surrounds any time we pray. So I would just, just say this, you know, just hang in there. Keep working on your prayer life. The more you pray, the stronger you get, I'm telling you, the more effective your prayers will be and you will be able to see amazing things happen in your life, your family, your job, your ministry because of a solid prayer life. It's so important. I'm always blown away when I read the first seven chapters of the book of, the book of Acts and you see how often the church gathered to pray. You know, just over and over and over again. They're not, it doesn't mention they're actually having preaching. They just get together for prayer meetings because they knew you know, the great point that prayer is the power source of the church and the power source of any, any Christian life for sure. So can I, can I just encourage you tonight in your prayer life, just keep hanging in there, keep struggling, keep trying. Someone says, you know, I do that, but when I pray, when I really sit down for a good time of prayer, my mind wanders so badly. And I'm praying along really with my heart, and then I'm thinking about the Cincinnati Reds, you know? And by, by the way, pray for the Cincinnati Reds, would you? <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, if you struggle with your mind wandering when you pray, would you just slip your hand up? Will you please just slip mm -hmm. your hand up? Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, it, it's just common to all of us. Uh, there are a couple of things that I've come to think about, the, the whole idea of prayer and, and my mind wandering. The first is this. Um, I thought I was a product of the TV generation for so long when I read a small booklet by Martin Luther who described his prayer life and, the, and, and the, 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 his, his devotional life. And Luther said, my, the greatest struggle I have is with my mind wandering. And I thought, isn't that something without radio, TV, in any electronic device, you know, it was still a problem. I'm just wondering if you and I can, can sit quietly in our prayer place and pray with great in, t intensity. Remember, it, prayer takes work. It's work, spiritually mentally, truly, emotionally, and praying for a long period of time without our minds saying, you know what, hey, I need a break, you know. I'm just going to go over here for a minute, then I'll come right back. And uh, I just think that we are so much more uptight about that than God is. 
I think the Lord would say to us, hey, I made you. I understand. You know, when you when you come back, you know, just just enter back in and we'll go on. It's okay. I think we should not be too hard on ourselves about that. Mm -hmm. Just a quick question, because I think sometimes my agency is pretty much my my format of prayers is form. I have a place I go to. But I know lots of people don't have not reached that perspective yet. Could you speak to the credit that people can get in, in, in their prayer life? If they're, pray, they're sitting in their car, they're driving, but they're, they're in prayer and they're concentrating on, on, on spiritual reality, spiritual experience. Would you consider that a, a, a sort of equally um, relevant prayer life? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The question was, um, we all maybe have a prayer place, but can you pray other places and it still be, be, be valid and so forth? I think the answer to that is certainly yes, you can pray other places. I really believe in having a prayer place, a physical location to go to someplace in your home. Maybe uh, just wherever works well for you. But uh, haven't all of us had dynamic times of prayer in our cars when we're driving, you know? Yeah, haven't we had incredible times of prayer uh, doing other things or on, on a plane ride? My wife and I, you know, go to Europe every summer and uh, it's eight and a half hours over and nine and a half hours back. And uh, it, they serve you a meal, as you know, and then everybody turns on their entertainment uh, screens and all. And it gets quiet and uh, sometimes it's even beginning to get dark. Man, that is such a wonderful pl- t- place and time, you know. You know, there's nobody needing anything from you, and it's quiet, and uh, yeah, some dynamic time. So, yeah, I think the places it could be multiple places for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you all, word of God, prayer. You can kind of go down the list here and see what we have. The idea of meditation is just so so crucial. If you have a pen, would you write down on your outline, uh, uh, lectio divina, L E C T I O, L E C T I O D I V I N A. L-E-C-I-T-O, Lectio, D-I-V-I-N-A, Divina. Um, This is a form of meditation, a way to meditate. It goes back about 1,700 years. And the reason, again, this is still around is that it's so effective. You know, it's just an amazing way to read Scripture. There are four steps to it. It wouldn't, you don't want to do three chapters, you know, just uh, one chapter maybe, and just use, use Lectio to go through the process of really internalizing the Word of God, getting, in, getting it in your heart, in your mind. If you just um, Google Lectio Divina, j- just that, it'll bring up tons of articles and information and give you all kinds of, of guidance there in terms of meditation. A letter D simply is the discipline of obedience. You know, six times Jesus says in about 15 verses, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, I remember in Scripture, if something is repeated, it's important. Anytime you see something repeated, it's important. Verily, verily, I say to you. Okay, when you see that, here's the deal. A big one is coming. Whatever he's going to get ready to say. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. You know, and whenever it's repeated. And here six times, just in a very few verses, Jesus says, if you love me, this is how I will know. I love to have you sing praise songs, and I'm enthroned on your praises, and keep your praise songs coming. I love them. I think Jesus, Jesus would say, but can I tell you also, talk is cheap. Here's what I want to know. When you're out in the trenches at work or play or whatever you're doing, and a really horrific temptation confronts you, and you can do the right thing or you can do the wrong thing, here's what I want to know. Can I count on you to come through for me? Can I count on you in those really tough moments of incredible temptation? Can I count on me that you love me enough uh, to, to do the things I ask you to do? You know, brothers and sisters, the expression, remember that Jesus' love language is obedience. Okay, just obeying him and following him in that. Fasting, of course, uh, certainly hope that you'll look into that discipline. Uh, Bobby Harrington asked, uh, asked myself and one of his elders, who's a student of mine at TCM, to write a book on prayer and fasting. And it's being offered for sale downstairs at a couple of different places. You can get it on Amazon as well. And uh, it just talks about how to have a strong prayer life. And the fasting aspect has a lot of good information, I think. But the piece that I, I uh, am getting more feedback on than any is the idea we offer a plan. If you've never fasted before, 
that isn't part of your life, here's a step-by-step -step plan to get you started. And as you grow, you'll add to this plan, but here's a way to really get started and so forth. And if, if I say the word fasting and you have a little bit of a tingling in your stomach and say, you know, what, el what else could I do to draw close to the Lord? I will tell you that if you'll just get started slowly and just start weaving the discipline of fasting into your life, you, you will be amazed at the level of spiritual growth that produces in your heart and in your mind. It's a powerful, powerful form of getting God's attention, combining it with prayer, and I really, really recommend. If you'll also write on your notes, prayerfast.org, prayerfast.org. Just, just put that down. TCM and discipleship.org and an international conference on missions. We all have joined together and we're asking thousands of Christians, millions of Christians all around the world to join us in a prayer fast movement to pray for the church, to pray for world evangelism, for discipling, to pray for the children of our culture. You all, I'm just telling you, uh, the children of our culture need to be guarded by the prayers of the church. They really do. And, and lifting that up in prayer, prayer and fasting, just so powerful. Brothers and sisters, the idea of solitude, let me just mention, in my years of really trying to grow in Christ and trying to develop the, the mind of Christ and the spirit of Christ, one of the things I'm convinced of at this stage of my journey is simply this. I wonder if it's really possible for Americans to grow in their faith without genuine periods of solitude. You know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I really wonder about that. There is just so much noise everywhere in our culture, everywhere. If you want to practice the disciplines of solitude and silence, you, you almost have to write an appointment in your day timer, just make an appointment to get away from all of the distractions, all of the noise, all of the din, you know, over and over again in Scripture. You know, it says that, uh, that the prophet did not hear God in the whirlwind or hear him in the fire, you know. But God says, yes, here's how you hear me. Be still. Be quiet. Be quiet and know that I am God. And I'll tell you, there's such amazing healing power in being by yourself and being quiet and being in the Word and in prayer and just allowing, allowing your spirit and your soul and your heart to rest and relax in the Lord. You know, it's a powerful, powerful discipline. There are great books on that out there right now for sure. We can go on journaling. It's so important. There's so much to say about each one of these. Confession, confessing of our sins, our fellowship, secrecy. Secrecy is from Matthew 6. Uh, Jesus said, when you give alms, when you fast, when you pray, don't let anybody know you're doing that. And the idea of secrecy is this. You do good works and deeds of love for other people without them knowing it was you who did it. So it strips away any ego gratification we might get, you know, and it's a very, very powerful, powerful discipline. That's secrecy, stewardship, service, all of those. Here's a great quote from Dallas Willard talking about this. He says, full participation in the life of God's kingdom and in the vivid companionship of Christ comes to us only through appropriate exercise in the disciplines for life in the spirit. I've also given you several good books. If you were to ask me the best books I know on the disciplines, here, here are the ones that I would recommend. Celebration by Richard Foster. Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney. That's a great book, but tons and tons of practical information in it. The Life You've Always Wanted, very same, by John Ortberg. And then Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald is, is an older book. Um, it's probably 25, 30 years old now, but I'm telling you, when you have a book that's full of principles, that it, that it can be good for hundreds of years. And McDonald's book had a massive impact on my spiritual growth when I read it. It was incredible. I made, made major strides forward in reading that book. So the backdrop of us growing in our faith and relationship to Christ really is understanding the disciplines and practicing them. Uh, and let me tell you, the, the more you practice a, cu a couple of certain disciplines, the stronger you'll get. It'll get easier, you'll get stronger, and you will notice an amazing, amazing blessing in your life through, through the practice of these. When we take a look at this, this list we have here, let me just ask this question. Uh, other than Scripture and prayer, okay, which of these do you feel like you're, you're, you're the strongest at right now? You've been, you've been doing one of these maybe for years, and it's contributing to your life. Wh which of these, which would you say you're strongest at? Yes? Stewardship and fellowship. 
Okay, stewardship. Yes, I imagine, I imagine almost everybody in here, you know, is significantly giving to the church, very much so. Fellowship. You know, there's so much to be said for fellowship. You know, God, God's plan was not independence for us. It was interdependence on each other. You know, I, 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 I can't make it in my spiritual life without you. I can't make it. You can't make it in your life without me. Now, that's how God put it together, you know, that we would, uh, we would depend on one another. How about somebody else? Which, which is, please? Service. Okay, service. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Meditation. Very, very good. Okay, great. I can say probably the times of my life I've heard clearest direction from God has been in those moments mm. of working through that meditative process. Not necessarily seeking that, but mm -hmm. just... Wow. Very powerful. Yeah. One of, for our tape, one of our brothers said that uh, some of the most significant times of hearing from the Lord have come while he was practicing Lectio Divina. And uh, really true. Yeah, very much so. How about some of the others? Anybody Anybody here doing pretty well on fasting right now? Kind of building it into your... Yeah, good, good, good. Yes, very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, how about solitude? Anybody actually practicing the discipline where you take some time? And actually get away from your schedule by yourself and spend time with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yes, brother, tell us about that. Yeah, so um, we have four kids, um, and we're just busy. There's just a lot in the world happening. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it, it kind of ties together with the Word of God in prayer and meditation. And that the only time I could find was about four in the morning walking around our town. So I needed some exercise, so I started taking these prayer walks. And I realized no one's up. It's dead quiet. There's no cars. There's nothing happening. And mm -hmm. I'm outside. Um, and so I was uh, praying while I did that. And then I would come home and everyone's still asleep by the time I got home. So for me, that was um, that's kind of the time that I can do that. Mm -hmm. So it's about an hour, hour and a half of just me with nobody around. Okay. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Great. I'd keep up the good work. Yeah. Yeah, the brother said he was uh, getting up early in the morning and going out and walking the town, and uh, it's quiet. No one is up. No one's driving. Uh, that would be good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Richard Foster describes a practice in his book, Cel a Celebration of Discipline. He says you should take one, one day. He says one day a week. And I would love to do this one day a week. I, I just can't at this point. But I, I take one day a month, and I rent a room at a local monastery in Cincinnati. I drive over to the Sisters of Charity. Uh, a monastery, and for $15, they give you a room and access to the dining room all day long. Get there about 9 in the morning and leave at 4.30, and uh, just have the entire day with my Bible, my journal. Um, I, I know m ancient mystics would turn over in their graves if they knew I did this, but I will tell you that, that praise music uh, just does it for me. Praise, praise music, praise video music connects me like crazy. So I take my computer and, and I, I worship the Lord with a number of vi uh, videos that I love that really speak to my heart and uh, do that and, uh, and just spend the entire day in a scripture, in prayer, meditation. Um, um, if you take a good book with you, if you want to read a chapter, something like that, write a letter of encouragement to someone, just a whole day of just being with the Lord, being in his presence you know, I'm telling you that there's such incredible power in, in those experiences, truly. Uh, I, I bring that up for, the, for this purpose. Uh, yes, go ahead. Can you, do you have like a, a structure, a plan for those days of solitude? Or do you just kind of take those things and just show up and uh, kind of whatever, whatever the Lord wants to do, that's what you do? Or do you have like, a, I start the day like this and then I move to that? Yeah, very good. Uh, let me tell you how I started. I, I, I did have a plan. and It would be arrive at the, the uh, Catholic retreat center. I would begin just by centering down, just kind of clearing my mind, you know, try to divest myself of all of my worries and frustrations and, and lay those aside. Uh, and then just have a really good time of prayer. Maybe take the book of Ephesians and meditate through a couple of chapters. Maybe do some journaling and um, then another prayer time. Then then maybe a walk outside, you know, to, to, to keep the circulation flowing. Come back and maybe pray for every missionary that I know and every missionary that I support, things like that. And then back to Ephesians th chapters 3 and 4 and just spend the day kind of working through prayer items and through maybe a book of Scripture. That's how I started and really did that for a number of years. 
And the Lord seemed to take that plan and begin to change it and to begin to kind of expand it. Some, some days a whole lot more time in prayer than others. Some days a whole lot more time in Scripture. About six months ago, the Lord laid on my heart to just take my Bible and a notebook and outline the book of Revelation with no commentary help. Just you read the book and you outline it, you know, and that was, that was an amazing experience. Man, it just took me right into the heart of Revelation and uh, all of those beautiful passage in, passages in there and the marriage feast of the Lamb and the second coming and all of that. Um, and so I, I would say it's not a bad, bad idea to start with a plan, but then I would really let the Holy Spirit lead me as to what I was supposed to do during that time and where I was supposed to go and things like that. But uh, yeah, you know, some brand new research out of a hospital up in like New Hampshire it says, and these people are not even Christians. They're secular psychiatrists and psychiatrists, psychiatrists and psychologists, and medical doctors, neurologists who are doing this research. But they're be being able to begin to see that when a person does medit serious meditation of some kind, it has a massive healing effect on the brain and the heart. It affects the brain and, and the heart in terms of cleansing itself, writing things, healing, so forth. Um, Working through grief, also grief recovery is part of that. It's brand new. It just came out. Really amazing. From people who are not Christians. You know, so interesting point there. Now, let me just ask you to think about this. With our list, um, if we were in class, here's my, here would be my challenge when we get done with the disciplines. I would say to you, uh, I know that you do a number of these, and I'm sure do them very well. Is there, are there two of these spiritual disciplines you're not practicing right now. You know, you're not, you're, I'm, I'm really not journaling. Uh, I, I, f I feel like it's kind of weird to be writing down stuff and I just don't journal. Or I, I don't have any solitude in my life. I really don't. You know, can I ask you to do this as your older brother in Christ? Can I ask you to pick two of these and between now and the end of summer, just begin weaving it little by little. You can buy a really good book on every one of these disciplines you know, read the book and then just, just go ahead and begin and just start and, and take a new discipline and begin to weave it into your practice, into your walk with Jesus Christ. And then from August until Easter, would you just take another one, take a second discipline that you're not doing now, and you just kind of get started weaving it in. Just give yourself time to do it, to get used to it, to figure it out, to see how it works for you. I will tell you that if you added a new spiritual discipline to your journey, Every six months, I'm just telling you. I promise you. I make this promise. Five years from now, you would be so far along in your spiritual walk. Not that you're not already, but I'm just telling you that you'd make massive strides forward in your relationship to Jesus if you would really begin celebrating these disciplines and slowly working them into your heart and into your schedule and into your your routine. So, so if we were in class, I would have you write down the two disciplines. On this three by five car, turn it in, and uh, you know. But but just just a, as a word of encouragement and motivation, you know, I, I'd love to see you take take the next step in your spiritual life. You know, it's so easy, I think, for us to kind of get to a place spiritually and then just kind of put it on cruise control. You know, and here's the deal: five years from now, in all honesty, we're really not a whole lot farther than we were five years ago. You know. And there's a way that we can, we can battle against that, and that's by just knowing what the disciplines are, adding them to our lives, and growing and changing, and uh, uh, taking on new things in terms of ministry and service and so forth. I have a guy here with me from my church. I discipled him for two years. He's been in the, uh, the uh, Boone County Sheriff's Department for 24 years. He's a police officer. And uh, he was in my D group, and now he's leading a D group himself. He and another guy are co-leading a group. And I've uh, been with him for eight years, and you all, I, I just have so rejoiced to watch him start practicing the disciplines. You know, I shared the idea of Lectio Divina with my um, discipling group. And the next week, he called me and said, now, now I think I've got this down, but I'm going to be doing this this afternoon. And just help me figure out exactly how, uh, help me to make sure I have this right. And uh, he's been weaving these things into his life. And I mean, just the amazing transformation of his heart. So you all, the disciplines is a major, major source of our growth. You know, please give them attention. Learn to love them. Build them in, into who you are. Any preachers in here, you can preach a series on spiritual disciplines. I have a 16 sermon series. 
that I, I did, did in my, my church where I was preaching and then um, interiming at other churches. I've used it in two other congregations. And let me tell you, people come out after the fourth or fifth sermon and they say to me, you know, I've been a Christian for 35 years. I've never heard this, never heard this. I had no idea of their spiritual disciplines or what I was supposed to be doing. And so the more we get the word out and we train and teach our people, the better for sure. Moving on to uh, main point number one here, we must develop a singular focus in our lives. Brothers and sisters, I know I'm preaching to the choir here when I say that Jesus needs to be the most important thing in your life more than anything else. I know, I know you already know that. Story of Mary and Martha and them inviting Jesus to come for lunch. And over, over the Mediterranean world, you have a small breakfast in the morning, big meal about one or two o'clock in the afternoon. That's your big meal of the day. Evening meal after work, you have a, a light supper, you know, something like that. Well, this is the big meal of the day. Uh, Jesus shows up with the disciples and his entourage, could have been 20 people. Mary and Martha have room for everybody. They're wealthy landowners, probably with a couple of big farms. And they, they're, Mar- Martha's back in the kitchen cooking and getting ready. And all of a sudden, she notices that Mary's nowhere to be found. She's back there. She's pounding that dough for those homemade biscuits. She knows Jesus really likes what strawberry jam, you know. And she's, they've got the fatted calf on the spit, and they're making mashed potatoes and so, green beans and so forth, getting all ready. That uh, apple pie she knows Jesus loves. And she looks around, and there's no Mary. So she walks out into the living room, theoretically, where Jesus is teaching out there. And here, here is a little princess sitting there at Jesus' feet doing nothing. And so let, let me tell, tell you what happens in the, in the Greek text. Martha come, walks out into the living room, interrupts Jesus' teaching, goes, Lord, well, excuse me, excuse me just a minute, I know you're busy here. She, sa- she says, um, I, I am back in the kitchen knocking myself out making this meal, and my sister is doing nothing. She says, she, here's what the Greek says. She actually says to him, you do care, don't you? From the Greek syntax, that's how she actually phrased it. You do care, don't you, that I'm in there doing this by myself? And then of all things, Mary gives God a command. And it's in the imperative tense where Mary says, then tell her to come back here and help me. I just talk about Jewish chutzpah. There you go. You got it. Full tilt. You know, here's what Jesus says. Yeah, listen to this. Martha, Martha, mm. you are worried and bothered about so many things. You know, let me just ask, does, does that describe any of us here tonight? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the front of the line. Put my, you know, just put my name there. David, David. You are worried and bothered about so many things. Well, listen to this. Jesus says, but only one thing is necessary. And and what was that one thing? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, getting as close to him as she possibly can, listening to his word. Jesus says, but only one thing is necessary. And Martha, I love the fact you're cooking this great meal for us, but, 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 Mary has chosen the better part here. And you know what? Love you, Mary. Love you, Martha. We're not going to take it away from her. Okay, so we're looking forward to dinner, but uh, let's just go ahead and work this out however we can. You know, and brothers and sisters, in that, in that section of Scripture, Jesus is saying there are many priorities in our lives, but if we can understand what Mary was doing here, the number one greatest priority in our lives is knowing and loving and serving Jesus more than anything else. Jesus said, um, to the person who will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yeah, here's your priority list. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus says, and and all of these other things we're so concerned and worried about, they'll be added to you. They'll be given to you. And if you can just put me first in your life. And so that's a huge piece that I wanted to put into our outline here for sure. Moving on to number two. Uh, we must understand that God is calling us to proactively grow in our daily walk. I've given you a number of scriptures here. I really would love to ask you to please, please, please take some time when you get home and read through these. But in, in all of these chapters, scripture says God is calling you to grow in your relationship to him. Here's the imagery Peter gives us. A baby is born. The Greek word there for, for, ba- for baby is napos. 
It means a, a, a baby right out of the womb, a baby that's just been born. Like newborn babes, newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You know, and in all of these texts, the idea is this, that we're born into the kingdom of God. The idea is that we naturally, normally, over a period of time, grow in our relationship to Christ to become mature, discerning, uh, God-loving Christians. You know, I had our first baby, brought her home from the hospital. You know, my wife shouted in one day and said, said you, have, you have to come in here and see this. Melissa just rolled over on her, on her, on her own, rolled over by herself. And that was a big deal, you know. And then she starts pulling herself up at the coffee table, taking these wobbly steps, you know, and then finally she takes her first two or three steps. And then pretty soon the yellow school bus is coming for, for elementary school. And then before you blink, you're going to high school graduation, and then you're standing at the altar with your daughter. And, uh, and, and here's what we want. We want our children to grow up healthy, you know, emotionally, spiritually, in every way, to get married, if, if that's their choice, to have a family, to be responsible, to have a, a job and to pay their bills and be good, responsible adults. That's what we want for our children. And you all listen to me this, 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 this evening. Listen to me. That's exactly what God wants for his children also. And let me tell you, the number one problem of the evangelical church today, it is, it is the incredible immaturity of the average Christian in, in the average church. Juan Carlos Ortiz, in his book Disciple, says the number one problem in the evangelical church is the perpetual childhood of the believer. It's exactly where we are. Why are we not taking cities for Jesus Christ? Why are we not doing that? I'm talking Indianapolis. Look at how many churches are in, this, in, in these five counties. Look at Cincinnati. You know, I meet with 16 guys who are preaching in churches of over 600 in Cincinnati for lunch, lunch every other month, plus, plus 100 other smaller churches. Why are we not taking our cities for Jesus Christ? I'm just telling you, it's pretty hard to wage major war when, you're, when your entire army are preschoolers. You know, seriously, you know. So, so brothers and sisters, God's calling you to grow. Please, please uh, read those texts, will you? You promise me you will? Read those and think about them, and I hope that'll be a great, uh, great benefit to you. And number three, God is calling us to a relationship to Him. And again, there's just so much material. And let me just speak this to you from my heart. Um, God does not want to have a legalistic relationship where you are afraid of Him, so you do good deeds, so He won't hurt you, and so you'll go to heaven when you die. You know, and let me just tell you, if you were raised in the Catholic Church, any of you former Catholics, there you go. You know, if you were raised in a really, really legalistic church when you were a kid, Baptist or, or, or EV free or Christian church or whatever, uh, there you go. That, 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 that's, that's what any of us who grew up in a church like that, that's what we were taught. I remember growing up as a kid, I loved my preacher, you know, he's very close to our family. But every Sunday, he would preach and he would dangle every one of us over the fires of hell, you know, and, and talk about don't, don't drink and don't smoke and don't go to movies and don't dance and don't chew and don't do all of those things. And, you know, and you'll be pleasing to God. And uh, it was fire and brimstone every week. Real, you, you think I'm kidding. This is true. Driving home in the car, I could smell the brimstone on our clothes <laughs> from where this guy scorched us, <laughs> scorched us every week, you know. And I'll tell you what, I was doing a three-week intensive to uh, pass a Greek test to start my master's program. And of all things, I was rooming with a Baptist, and I taught him a lot about baptism. I really did. You know, he introduced me for the very first time at the age of 26 to the idea of grace, and that I did not have to earn my way into God's love and acceptance. I'd gone through... a a bachelor's degree in leadership ministry, you know, and, 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 and still came out uh, thinking that I just need to be as good as I can so God will like me, so he won't hurt me, and I'll go to heaven when I die, you know. I felt like I had been let out of prison, you know. God does not want a legalistic, relation, a legalistic arrangement with us. He wants a relationship. He wants a relationship, you know. I have two daughters you know, who, who mean more to me than anything else on the face of the earth, along with my wife, of course, you know. 
two daughters, you know. And I will tell you that I, I don't want them to call me five times a week and tell me they love me because that's, that's what would really be the best to maintain some kind of a relationship together. You know, that's not a relationship when things like that go on. It's people who love each other, care about each other, reach out to each other, minister to one another, understand each other, forgive each other, have patience with each other, you know. Uh, I, I, I don't tell this story a whole lot. Uh, let, me, let me just share with you. I was at a, one of my days away probably about six months ago, and in the Catholic uh, retreat center, they have these huge living room areas, and one of them has these great big tall back chairs, and they're so comfortable. And so I chose that room. I'm sitting in this great big tall back chair, and um, it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Dangerous time for your day away, trust me. <laughs> Dangerous. I'm sitting in that chair, and uh, man, it was just so comfortable, and I was so relaxed, and I'm doing some Bible time there, and I fell asleep. And I slept for about a half an hour, you know. I woke up, I looked at my watch, and I thought, oh, no, I take one day a month to do this, and here I am sleeping on the job. I feel just like the disciples in the garden letting the Lord down, you know, here I'm sleeping, you know. And you all, I don't know how you feel about how God speaks to you. Uh, I've never heard God's audible voice. I have friends who have, and, and they have all the liberty to do that. I will tell you, though, the Lord speaks to my heart all the time, speaks to my interior world. And as I was there repenting furiously for falling asleep on my day away, the Lord spoke into my spirit. And he said, Dave, Dave, stop. Stop. He said, while you were sleeping, I was holding you. I just thought of all the times... Um, I held one of our girls while they were sleeping. What a wonderful situation that was, you know. Y'all, that's the difference between a legalistic connection with God and living with Him in a relationship, you know. And, and God is calling you to have a relationship, not to keep a bunch of rules Here's what I found out. The more you come to love Jesus, the more obedient you'll become to Him. You know, yeah. The more, the more I've accepted the fact that God accepts me and loves me and was willing to show it by letting a son go to the cross and saying, you know, it's impossible for me to love you any more than I love you. And I say, yes, Lord, but, but I stub my toe on a regular basis. I think the Lord says to me, did, did you not think I knew that you were going to sin when you became a Christian? I, I knew that sin would be something you'd be getting through and on top of uh, for years in your life. I, I don't love you because you, you, you don't sin. I love you because you're my child. And you're part of who I am, part of our family. And brothers and sisters, if we can ever really come to the full understanding of what a relationship is with Jesus, living with Him every day, you know. It's, it's a very, very powerful thing. And that's the kind of spiritual life I want you to have and I want you to maintain, living with Jesus in a relationship. And there's a whole bunch of other things on here I hope will be helpful for you as you um, go along. Uh, letter B here, how does one go about initiating and building a relationship? There's a list of things under B that are characteristics of building and maintaining a relationship. And... Um, with another person. And, and so many of these, if not almost every one of them, deal with building a relationship to our Heavenly Father. It, it, it's the very same thing. I think also that there needs to be a mental commitment to God in terms of loving Him. Yeah, it's a decision of our will. I make up my mind that there is truth in the universe and that God is truth, that Jesus is truth, and if that's the case, then I better, I better figure out how this thing works. And I better get into Scripture, and I better learn more about God and about all of the things that surround Him. And, uh, and I make a mental decision that God is real, that He did send Jesus, and that I, that I accept that arrangement. I make a mental decision. But the other side of that coin is that there must be an emotional attachment to our Heavenly Father. You know, father to son or daughter. There's an emotional component. You know, my, my mom and dad... You know, I, uh, my, your parents, of course, I had an aunt that I was very, very close to. She, she was a case, I'll tell you, you know. 
She was only one of her, but uh, she loved me and I loved her and uh, our daughters. And if you think your children are great class, just wait, just wait, you know, wait till you have your grandkids. I kid you not, man. They, they wrap their little, uh, little fingers around your heart and, uh, you know, and th- there's this emotional component that I have with my wife. You know, I, I intellectually committed to her on our wedding day that I would love her and, and stay with her for, for the long haul. You know, so I made an intellectual decision that this is the woman I would spend the rest of my life with. But then there's the the emotional component of the fun we have together, our humor, our laughing together, talking together, spending time together. And I have been emotionally welded to her. I've been drawn to her emotionally. And we have an incredible emotional attachment, you know. And both of those things need to apply to the Lord also. We love God because we've intellectually thought through it. And we love God because we realize He is real and He's our Father and He's drawing close to us. And, uh, and that, you know, that, that's just, I think both of those elements need to be there. The, com- the mental commitment and the emotional commitment as well. So, a number of other things here about, about um, being in a relationship. Uh, part of this is accepting forgiveness from God totally and completely. Uh, it's also understanding that God loves you and He also likes you as well. He likes to be with you, and He likes to spend time with you. This is one of the great reasons prayer is so important. Uh, Brothers and sisters, you can't maintain any relation on earth without communication. And that's why prayer is so critical to us, learning to pray, getting better at praying, you know, practicing prayer more, all of that, until we come to the place where we realize that God honestly has forgiven us of our sins. He really has, really. You know, the wonderful thing about God compared to man is that God forgives and forgets. You know, we can forgive, but sometimes forgetting is, is a little harder. Um, there's this old story, I'm sure you've heard it, of the uh, woman who said to her preacher, um, Jesus visits me late at night a couple of times a week, and we have a wonderful talk. He said, no, okay, now you're talking like meditation. or you know, And she said, no, no, Jesus comes to my house, and I see him, and we sit and talk, and it's wonderful. And he said, really, that's very interesting. He said, can I just ask you to, ask, ask you to do this? When I was in seminary, I committed a really, really hor- terrible sin. I committed a major sin and have repented of it. The next time Jesus comes to visit you, will you ask him what that sin was? Ask him if he knows what the sin was. She said, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to him this week. So next Sunday, the preacher saw her and he said to her, did, Jesus, did you see Jesus this week? And she said, yes, I did. And he said, did you ask him about the sin, terrible sin I committed in seminary? She said, I I asked him. And he said, what did he say? And Jesus said, I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah, you know. So, you know, when we sin and we ask forgiveness, and then the next day we go back and ask forgiveness again, God says to us, oh, 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 thanks for reminding me. I, I, I had forgotten totally about that because it was completely forgiven, you know. Yeah, brothers and sisters, just know the real hard part that we have to face is forgiving ourselves for the sins we've committed in the past. You know, I mean, really, there may be, I would probably say a woman, maybe more than a man. I'm sorry, guys. There may be a woman in here who went all the way through her grade school, high school, college, getting married years, and really, really hardly had a hair out of place. This is my oldest daughter, you all. When she was a senior, I just want, I wanted to say to her, would you just rebel a little? I mean, j- just a little, you know? Um, and her younger sister made up for every, all, all that she didn't do. I, I would tell you for sure, you know. But, um, uh, but, but all, probably all of us have guilt and shame and junk and emotional and stuff. We're so sorry. What was I thinking? That, that kind of a thing. And Satan, who is a liar and an accuser, will use those memories on you like a bludgeon. I kid you not. He, he, will, he will go after you and, and bring up every horrible thing you've ever done and remind you what a terrible person you were. You know, And you'll, even with the worst derelict, I'm telling you that when they come up out of the baptistry and the blood of Christ is applied to their lives, there is no sin, no sin greater, stronger than the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. I will tell you. Totally wash, washes you clean. Absolutely in every way. And we need to forgive ourselves. 
and understand that it is God's will for us to forgive ourselves, not look in the past and just look to the future and move on and not let those things be anchors and burdens to us anymore because they're washed away and totally taken away from us through the powerful blood of Jesus Christ. You know, you know sometimes we, even after becoming a Christian, you know, we walk around and we think, boy, you know, you know, I just I don't do very well some days. I really struggle. And, and we have not really accepted the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of God. It's kind of like this. We um, wake up one night in the middle of the night. There's an angel standing right by our bed, an angel. First thing he says to us would be, don't be afraid. Yeah, don't be afraid. It's okay. It's me. Uh, I am the death angel. And tonight's your night. Are you ready? You know, actually, I am. Yes, I am ready. Well, come on. Uh, we have to go. Get on the escalator there in the corner of your bedroom. You go through, through the clouds, past the stars, into the Shekinah glory of God, this amazing glory of God. And you come out, and here are the pearly gates, and there is a couple of tables, and St. Peter, I have to put him in there, you know. St. Peter's there, and our Heavenly Father is sitting there uh, at the table. And we come out of the clouds, and uh, our Father looks up and sees us. And if we have not really accepted His forgiveness totally in our hearts and minds, this is what, how we think. We think that God, God stands up, you know, where He is. Stands up at the table, and we're walking toward Him, and He kind of walks around the edge of the table, and He does this. He goes like this. He goes, Oh, it's you. All right, well, let me just check, see if your name's in the book. And he goes down. Yeah, okay, your name's here. You know, you made it. Let me just say, you barely, you barely made it. <laughs> you, you barely got in. Okay, so, yeah, so you are here, and uh, this is fine. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to have a great big concert tonight at the huge, massive stadium. We're in most evenings. And here's your ticket for this evening. Your ticket is on the very last upper row behind a post is where, where you're going to be seated. So have a great eternity, and uh, see you later, you know. You all, let me tell you, in, in heaven, in heaven, you all, there, there aren't any, any uh, nosebleed seats in heaven. Amen. Yeah, there, there aren't any posts in heaven, you know. You know, I, I just need to really assure you today that God desperately loves you and cares about every detail of your life. Every detail. There's nothing too small or insignificant that God is not concerned about tonight in your heart and in your life. Truly, just knowing, knowing of His overwhelming love, His acceptance of us, just, it's all over the Scriptures. I like, love Zephaniah 3.17, you know. God, God sings and dances. When, when God hears your name, He feels like singing and dancing. Zephaniah 3.17. So I would ask you tonight, can you imagine really in your heart, I mean genuinely, you don't have to answer, just, just in, your, in your own mind. When God hears your name, your name is spoken before God. Well, what, 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 what does he actually think when he hears your name? Yeah. Here's your name and he goes, oh, 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 yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Or he hears your name and he is so filled with joy that you're his child that he feels like singing and dancing, you know? Well, it's a beautiful portrait of, of God's love for us, his total and complete acceptance of us. And when we've accepted his acceptance, and we really believe that God genuinely loves us every single day and helps us in every way He can, then all of our, all of our sin offerings become thank offerings. You know, we don't have to worry about pleasing God anymore. And, and, and this does call for obedience. We, we grow in our obedience for sure. But, but we just need to know that God is not, not this great big deity sitting on His throne with a gray sweatshirt on with a G on the front of it with a handful of lightning bolts, I mean, bang, ready to strike us the moment we get out of line. You, know, you can't find that anywhere in Scripture, in God dealing with His children. And so, so growing as a Christian, as we lead discipling groups, you know, brothers and sisters, we, we have to know and love Jesus deeply and be growing in our faith and relationship to Him if we're going to lead other people, truly. Let me just tell you that it's impossible for you to feed other people if you are not, if you're not well fed yourself. It is impossible for you to lead people to places where you have never been, you know. It's impossible for you to empower the lives of people that, that you're working with if you're living a powerless life in your own right, you know. 
So before I can give it away, my friends, I have to have it. it has to be real in me and down deep. And this is a growth. It's a growth process. You're growing. How do you grow? We studied the disciplines. We begin practicing those with our hearts. And I will tell you that they will bring us before the presence of God where he will continue to work in our lives in a, in a dynamic way, in an incredible way. So I, I hope that the things we've talked about have been beneficial for you. There's more information on here. Please take it home. One thing I would love to ask you to do is just read through all of the scriptures that are listed here over the next couple of weeks. Think about the things we've talked about. Maybe do some meditating there and just hope our time has been, uh, been a blessing. Any questions before we go ahead and dismiss? If you have something, just come up and see me when we're done. Y'all, thank you. Have a great night tonight, restful sleep, and we'll see you tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. Awesome stuff from David Rokup. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. Up next, we're going to be hearing more from David. He's going to be teaching us the seven absolute most critical elements of Jesus' disciple-making approach to your personal discipling ministry. So make sure you stick around for that. Hey, y'all, if you live in the Nashville area, we have got the Forum City Tour launching here October 27th and 28th. Go to discipleship.org, buy your tickets today. You're not going to want to miss out on this amazing event here in the Nashville area. All right, y'all, enjoy the rest of your day, and I hope to catch you on the next episode. We'll see you.